Go and tell him, see this staff, it is a piece of dry wood. It shall become a crocodile with life and soul and swallow up all the other staffs. And it is destined to revert to a dry piece of wood. The same is true of you. I created you from a putrid drop and gave you empire and you boasted and said, My river is my own and I have made it for myself. Behold, I shall turn you back to nothingness and chaos. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 169, The Bible's Nile Crocodile. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Long before the tulip craze swept Europe in the 17th century, many millennia before dot-coms became a subject of intense interest, there was a mania that cornered the market of ancient Egypt. Crocodiles. Thus the Washington Post reports, quote, One day several thousand years ago, an Egyptian mummy supplier crept up on a wild crocodile and bashed it with a club, fracturing its skull and killing it. The animal was quickly taken to be processed, its damaged skull was fixed, its body was treated with salts, oil, and resins, and wrapped in multiple layers of linen. Its last meal was still in its stomach. The demand for mummified crocodiles was intense in ancient Egypt. Thousands were bred and reared in captivity to be dispatched and expertly mummified for offerings to the potent gods. There's also evidence that crocodiles were hunted, no doubt a dangerous pursuit to help feed the craze. Researchers in France using high-tech scans say they were surprised when they found a massive skull injury during a virtual necropsy on a crocodile's mummified remains. It is the first concrete evidence of the hunting of animals for mummies, they say, end quote. Why were crocodiles in such demand? Why are there so many mummified specimens of these reptiles? As the article explains, being buried with a crocodile would help enable the deceased to propitiate one god in particular in the afterlife, Sobek, god of the Nile, often depicted with a crocodile head. Understanding the centrality of the crocodile to Egypt is essential to comprehending a theme in Ezekiel's prophecy about Egypt's future, as well as a theme in the story of the Exodus itself. The next chapters of Ezekiel focus less on Israel than on the nations that surround it, predicting the ultimate decline of Ammon in chapter 25, Tyre in 26 through 28, with the prophet's most extensive predictions focused on Egypt beginning in chapter 29. As we have previously mentioned, the Jews of Jerusalem believed, despite the warnings of God's prophets to the contrary, that they could ally themselves with Egypt against Babel. Ezekiel, speaking in Babylonia, not only informs Israel that this alliance will fail, but also that Egypt will itself be defeated by Babylon. His prophecies are therefore, as many note, a prediction of the Battle of Carchemish, circa 605 BCE, in which Nebuchadnezzar defeated Pharaoh's forces. When we study his prophecies carefully, we can see that Ezekiel's description of the defeat of Egypt is also clearly intended to serve as a bookend to another part of sacred scripture, the book of Exodus. In order to see how this is so, we must review our original analysis from Bible 365 of the Exodus story. Recall the scene in the palace of Pharaoh. Aaron threw down his staff at Moses' command. The staff transformed and Aaron's rod ultimately devoured those of the Egyptian enchanters in Pharaoh's court. But into what creature does it turn? Here again is the story in English, with one word left in the original Hebrew. Quote, And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a tanin. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did in like manner with their secret arts. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became taninim, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Tanin is often rendered serpent or snake, but this may be a mistranslation. 
When Moses, standing before the burning bush, asks the Almighty for a sign to show to Israel, there God causes his staff to transform into a nachash, which means snake. But, as we quoted from Rabbi Nathan Slifkin, the word tanin, in contrast, seemingly denotes here not a snake, but rather a crocodile. Aaron's rod transforms into a crocodile and swallows the crocodiles produced by Pharaoh's magicians. In controlling crocodiles, Moses and Aaron may be telling Pharaoh that the purported god of the Nile, the crocodile god Sobek, will be powerless to prevent the forthcoming plague of blood. But what Moses' miracle might also mean is that the crocodile is being utilized as a symbol of Pharaoh himself. How do we know this? One of Rabbi Slifkin's central sources is our passage in Ezekiel, which is read as the Haftarah on the very same Shabbat when the Exodus story serves as the weekly portion. These are Ezekiel's words, again in English with one word untranslated. Chapter 29, verse 1. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, in the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Pharaoh king of Egypt and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, Pharaoh king of Egypt, the great Tanim that lieth in the midst of his rivers, which hath said, My river is mine own, and I have made it for myself. But I will put hooks in thy jaws, and I will cause the fish of thy rivers to stick unto thy scales, and I will bring thee up out of the midst of thy rivers, and all the fish of thy rivers shall stick unto thy scales. And I will leave thee thrown into the wilderness, thee and all the fish of thy rivers. Thou shalt fall upon the open fields, thou shalt not be brought together nor gathered. I have given thee from meat to the beasts of the field and to the fowls of the heaven. Here, Ezekiel compares Pharaoh to a tanim, spelled with a mem rather than a nun at the end of the word. The tanim, we are told, crouches in the river. It is massive in size. It has scales. Only one creature answers to that description. What, Rabbi Slifkin writes, quote, is the great tanim that lies in the rivers of Egypt. It is the Nile crocodile. This awesome beast grows to over 21 feet in length and was the top predator in Egypt. End quote. Rabbi Slifkin further cites the Midrash, which, building on the verse in Ezekiel, explains the symbolism of Moses' staff turning into a crocodile and swallowing the other staffs. According to the rabbi's interpretation, the crocodile produced by Aaron is itself a symbol of Pharaoh, just as the staff is lifeless until transformed by God, just as the staff itself is a mere conduit of God's will. So too are human beings. So too are rulers of Egypt even those that purport to be gods themselves. These are the words of the Midrash speaking about Pharaoh. Quote, The Holy One said, This evil person boasts and calls himself a crocodile, as it is written, the great crocodile. Go and tell him, See this staff, it is a piece of dry wood. It shall become a crocodile with life and soul and swallow up all the other staffs. And it is destined to revert to a dry piece of wood. The same is true of you. I created you from a putrid drop and gave you empire, and you boasted and said, My river is my own, and I have made it for myself. Behold, I shall turn you back to nothingness and chaos. You swallowed up all the staffs of the tribes of the children of Israel. Behold, I shall cause you to disgorge all you have swallowed. End quote. So the rabbis write, and the point, as Rabbi Slifkin explains, is that just as a stick was suddenly endowed with life and then returned to an inanimate state, that too will be the fate of Pharaoh. Or, as Rabbi Slifkin puts it, for the rabbis, the message from God to the king of Egypt is that, quote, you are nothing more than a stick, a tool in his hand. The crocodile may indeed be the king of the Nile, but it is a subject of the king of kings, end quote. If this is the case, then a new depth to all of Ezekiel's prophecies in these passages can now be discerned. Many of Ezekiel's predictions must have been, for the Israelites, deeply depressing, 
He told them that Jerusalem will fall, that Egypt would not save Israel, that the temple itself would be destroyed. But Ezekiel's references to reptiles, his deliberate connection to the crocodile miraculously made for Moses and Aaron, is another way of saying that all kings are nothing other than a stick of God, and therefore the hand of God that brought about the original redemption through the staff of Moses remains active. God's hand in history could still be discerned by Israel in exile. And therefore, Ezekiel is also telling his people, the God who heard Israel's cries when it was enslaved in Egypt will hear Israel in exile again, and redemption will come again as it once did. Ezekiel will stress Israel's restoration all the more clearly in the prophecies to follow, which we shall study later this week. But even here, the references to the original Exodus can be discerned. Recall the biblical description. God took us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Here is Ezekiel speaking of God's defeat of the arm of Pharaoh in chapter 30, verse 21. Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and lo, it shall not be bound up to be healed, to put in a splint to bind it, to make it strong to hold the sword. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms, the strong and that which was broken, and I will cause the sword to fall out of his hand. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and will disperse them through the countries. And I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand, but I will break Pharaoh's arms. And he shall groan before him with the groanings of a deadly wounded man. Here again, the arm of God strikes the arm of Pharaoh, the Almighty acting through the arm of Babylon, who, like Pharaoh, derives power from God alone. Egypt, failing to learn this lesson, will have its arms shattered, as Babylon ultimately will as well. Ezekiel, then, teaches us not only to remember the original Exodus, but to learn from it, to see the hand of God in history. Several years ago, the media reported the discovery of a new treasure uncovered in Cairo, an enormous statue found shattered in the mud. According to some reports, this seemed to have been another enormous ancient figure of Ramesses II, believed by many to be the pharaoh of the Exodus. Reading these reports, I could not help but look at them through a biblical lens. 3,000 years ago, it may well have been Ramesses who sought to shatter us. Now he lies shattered, a head without arms. 3,000 years ago, a pharaoh enslaved an entire people amidst countless others, dehumanizing them by forcing them to wallow in the mud, making brick after brick, edifice after edifice, in order to ensure his immortality. Now a relic of Ramesses is found, sunk for centuries in the very same Egyptian mud where Israelite slaves were once forced to wallow. 3,000 years ago, Ramesses was the most powerful man on earth. Now his mummy lies in a museum in Cairo, a half-hour flight away from a living, thriving Jewish state that is a beacon of Judaism in the Middle East. How can one not believe in a God who redeemed the Hebrew slaves, whose hand guides history still? When Israel placed its hope in Egypt, Ezekiel communicated to Israel that its hope was misplaced. But he also told his brethren that it was the God who first sent Moses to Pharaoh, the God that transformed a staff into a crocodile, in whom Israel could ultimately find and place its hope. In the British Museum, sits what is known as the Nebuchadnezzar Chronicle. We have sent you the link to an image of this tablet and its translation. Let us ponder for a moment two events that it describes. The first is the moment that changed Ezekiel's life. Quote, In the seventh year, in the month Chislev, the king of Babylon assembled his army, and after he had invaded the land of Hatti, he laid siege to the city of Judah. On the second day of the month of Adar, he conquered the city and took the king prisoner. He installed in his place a king of his own choice, and after he had received rich tribute, he sent forth to Babylon. 
This, of course, is a description of the beginning of the original exile from Jerusalem under King Yehonia, the event that brought Ezekiel to Babel. Another passage in Nebuchadnezzar's chronicle describes an event predicted by Ezekiel. Nebuchadnezzar, we are informed, quote, crossed the river to go against the Egyptian army which lay in Carchemis. They fought with each other and the Egyptian army withdrew before him. He accomplished their defeat and beat them to non-existence. As for the rest of the Egyptian army which had escaped from the defeat so quickly that no weapon had reached them, in the district of Hamath, the Babylonian troops overtook and defeated them. End quote. The Egyptian empire, embodied by the crocodile, was indeed defeated. The world of the pharaohs is no more, and mummified reptiles remain as an archaeological embodiment of their empire. But the empire of Nebuchadnezzar has also ceased to exist. Meanwhile, the Jewish people endure. A state of Israel has come into being, and the hand of God in history, which once transformed a staff into a crocodile, can still be seen today. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.